Welcome to the Turkey Hunter Podcast, the original all-turkey, all-the-time podcast with your co-hosts Andy Galliano and Cameron Weddington. In our weekly podcast, we're going to bring you some wild turkey calling tips like this. From there, we're going to go into, she's aggravated, there's another hen that's challenged her, or she's challenging another hen, she's going to cut an excited yelp. Advice from old pro turkey hunters like this. The turkeys typically don't like, I think, more times than not, to travel in an easterly direction into the sun first thing in the morning, especially after he gets up. It's a blinding thing. It, it, it's just like you. It's hard for you to see into the sun. Mm-hmm. So if I have a choice, I'm going to try to make it so that I'm going to be on the west side in the morning east side in the afternoon of a turkey exciting live hunts like this holy crap they're coming teach you how to cook your bird with advice such as this with some fresh rosemary and garlic and then cool that off and spread that along the inside of that butterflied turkey breast that we've seasoned on both sides wildlife management tips for your property especially with turkeys like this if you look at the type of habitats that turkeys need for nesting and brooding that tends to be habitat that can be managed more successfully with growing season fire than with dormant season fire. And hopefully along the way, we'll get plenty of these. Well, on November the 28th of 1953, I was attached when I popped out of my mom and the baby doctor spanked me on the bottom. I went, oh, and I've been doing it ever since. <laughs> I like that. Thank you for tuning in, and now, for this week's show. Hello, and welcome back to this week's episode of the Turkey Hunter Podcast. You are listening to episode number 373, A Little Christmas Turkey Soup. And I am your co-host and the guy who has a little paint on his fingers. And I'm your co-host, the guy who is hopefully going to sniff out a duck in the morning. Mm, it's tomorrow the opener for you guys? Oh, no. We've been open, but there have been no ducks here. And got a call from my brother this morning. He jumped a few out of a little spot, so we're going to go see what happens. All right. So I'm, a, I'm a little bit excited. We haven't. I went Sunday, and I think I literally saw seven ducks. <laughs> is that good? <laughs> That'd be pretty bad. If it was turkey hunting and I saw seven, that's pretty good. But when you when you see seven ducks, that's not a good sign. Mm. So we'll see what happens, but they just haven't gotten here yet. Hopefully the migration is uh, beginning a little bit colder. You know, big rain came through and it got kind of cold. So hopefully a little push has come in. We're going to see what happens in the morning. Yeah. You painting interior of the house? Uh, interior of a house. Ah. Uh, mm-hmm. 
Nice. And no, well, I have not gotten out of the mortgage industry. Very good, very good. I can't imagine anything worse than having to paint for a living, honestly. Uh, yeah, that would be pretty brutal. Uh, I appreciate those because it is not in my top three favorite things to do on this earth. Mm, that's right. Or my top 3,000 favorite things to do on this earth. I think painting is... is one of my least favorite things on earth to be completely honest i hate it yeah and it's interesting to me because you know i I like the instant gratification of things like yeah you know being able to pressure wash something and see it go from dirty to clean that's that's okay i can i can deal with that you know that doesn't bother me Mm -hmm. demo not look you know, all these home improvement shows, they talk about demo and, you know, how awesome it is and everything else. That's fun tearing stuff up. But it's, yeah. I mean, almost instant gratification of taking something and stripping it down to nothing. I like that. That's a lot of fun to me. So it just seems like painting would be something that I'd be cool with, but it is not. It's pretty brutal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Well, you know... You got to do that kind of honeydew list stuff, get it over with, man. And in what, 102 days, you won't be thinking about it anymore. There won't be any painting because it's going to be game time. 92 days, nine hours, 34 minutes, and 36 seconds over in this part of the world. Yeah, 92 days. So I obviously got my number wrong because that we're a week behind. So it should be 99 days for me. Yeah. (laughs) But. That's closing in on us. I think we got a pretty cool episode. I always love the turkey soup episodes to catch up on, you know, kind of news surrounding turkeys and turkey hunting. Mm-hmm. Because I feel like our podcast has morphed into more than just a, uh, hey, come listen to this. We're going to teach you how to kill turkeys. We, we have some of that in here sprinkled around, but I feel like we've more so become the the newsstand for what's going on in the wild turkeys world and the the hunting community yeah i I like that honestly and i you know we get a lot of authors and and just really cool people in turkey hunting that a lot of folks don't get to hear their voice often enough and i think that's pretty cool so turkey soup's a fun time yeah well speaking of that you've got an article that you wanted to share. I don't know if you were saving it for last, but I'm mentioning it first. But okay. you have an article that you wanted to share that, well, was published in a national hunting magazine, and it's really more I've or heard less it before. <laughs> an, an op-ed piece. And yes, we we covered it quite in depth. But I'm pretty confident this article was sparked from our conversation that we had on this podcast because. I had someone tell me that they sent that to the author of the article. So hmm. that uh, that, that kind of tells me that we probably had a little something to do with that article coming into being. Well-written share article. This. Yeah, share the story with us. Well, so many of you, if you listened, you know, the, the faithfuls who might listen over the, over the summer months, we did an episode with Bob McAdderley, <laughs> our first pseudonym. Mm-hmm. And that would be episode 352, if anybody wants to go back and listen to it, if you haven't heard it. It's called The Rise of Non-Resident Turkey Hunting License Sales. And this article that came out in Peterson's Hunting, very similar to what we talked about, actually, almost verbatim, 
in article form for what's going on with non-resident hunting. You know, the you can't find the article online. It's only in the magazine, at least as for now. But essentially, the guy goes through, talks about how politics behind wildlife agencies, you know, how much more profitable it is for them to create non-resident hunters than it is to have resident hunters, how the COVID supply chain issues, the food food to table kind of deal is like really growing in popularity even further compounded it but then he goes into the marketing where agencies for wildlife are using social media influencers to tout the hunting opportunities in their state and how they're using these personalities with hundreds of thousands of followers to promote the hunting and it's been so successful that the states are having mass increases in non-resident license sales and i like the way he puts it here he's like well so what's the problem you know more hunters equals more license sales equals more money you know it's, it's great right and then he says well yeah until those same states start taking away hunting opportunities due to overcrowding plummeting wildlife numbers and other issues <laughs> Yeah, and it's that's what's happening. I mean, we we're seeing it everywhere. We're losing a lot of opportunity because over harvest or you know the whatever it is, the wildlife are declining to the point where they feel like they need to take hunting away. But meanwhile, you know, and he references Tennessee in here, which we talked about in that podcast. References how in 2020 Tennessee paid influencers to promote our turkey hunting. Blows my mind still. So 2021, we had a 45% increase in non-resident license sales and a 74% increase in seven-day license sales for non-residents. But due to our declining turkey populations, the state decided to reduce our bag limit and delay the turkey opener for two zones. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Just, you know, Georgia, another, you know, Arizona, anyway. Interesting article. Um... To further expand on that, I had a second portion, and then I'll let you get to your first article, but thought that was interesting that somebody picked up on the storyline we were kind of presenting. I mean, everybody can form their own opinions. I don't know how you can argue the data that we presented in that show, to be honest. It, it's pretty staggering. Yeah. But another example of this happening is in Florida. Uh, I don't know... If you've ever bought a Florida license and signed up with your email, you've probably gotten an email from them asking you to comment on this or, you know, see if you support their new moves they're trying to pass. And one caught my eye. I'm not going to say any specific names for the WMA. A lot of people will know what I'm talking about, and it doesn't matter at this point. But a WMA in South Florida that I had never heard of personally until I I heard of it on a YouTube channel and i think i was one of several thousand of people (laughs) who heard about it and i mean i'm just telling you my story on it that's where i heard about this place i'd never heard of it in my life and so i went there one spring and it was two years after this youtube channel had promoted it and i have i've never seen people like what i saw on this place it's it's the first time i ever i hunted for one day i was 12 hours away from home. Actually, no, 17 hours away from home. I hunted for two days and I just went home. Like, I've never seen anything like it. I talked to the guard at the gate and 
he was like, I don't know what's going on these past two years. He's like, I've worked here for years and years, and usually I'll check in 20 people, you know, at this gate on opening weekend. He said, I've checked in 87 today, and I'll probably check in just that many tomorrow. And I was yeah. like, and this guy's hunting there for years. Like, so th- it, it's not like this is, you know, just because people are moving to Florida, which I know a lot of retirees and stuff moved to Florida, but like very noticeable difference. And you could tell by stickers on the back of people's trucks and the hats people were wearing on the place. And I heard a certain, you know, YouTube channel come up very often in conversation around camp with other people. There's a reason everybody was there, you know? <laughs> yeah. It got hot spotted really bad. And now Florida is going to take that unit. Uh, we're looking at well over 100,000 acres, which is a huge swath of land. I think it's around 120,000, if not more, acres. And that's going to be put into a quota hunt now because, and I quote from FWC's website, these measures are necessary to alleviate overcrowding on the area. Mm-hmm. So it's just another example, this article kind of piggybacking off the Peterson's one of we just, I say we, you know, turkey hunters, we went from an open area to quota hunt. We just lost more opportunity because somewhere got hot spotted. Right. And that's a very specific place that got hot spotted and the opportunity is lost. Yeah. So got to be careful. And I, I mean, you know, people don't expect that kind of thing to happen from them putting a picture in front of a WMA sign or whatever it is, you just got to be careful. And that's why, you know, we've kind of decided on this show not to, not to name names anymore, just because that's the world we live in. You, you name a name and there's no telling how many people pick up on it and show up with social media and just spread like wildfire. Yeah. Yeah. It's for those listening who don't think that, hot spotting a piece of public land is a big deal i you can't be more wrong <laughs> it, and i'm telling you this as someone who had the same opinion that you have currently but today i'm telling you this because i have seen it firsthand yeah and what happens to those areas is not good it is not good so uh, you know, I just... hate it most of all for the local. Oh, yeah. Because if that happened to the WMA that's closest to my home, that would be devastating. Like, I can only hunt there every sixth year or something by drawing a quota. That would suck. Yeah, that that would suck. I mean, and that's what could very well could be the case for some guy down there in Florida who that was his favorite place to hunt. You know, he'd been hunting it for 10 years, knows, his, knows it like the back of his hand. I was right where he's going to be opening day, but not anymore. He's got to draw a tag. And it's not just turkeys. No, it's not just elk, all kinds of elk. stuff. It's deer. It's, you're right. It's all kinds of different animals and different wild game. And we are the ones paying the price for these places being hotspotted. So, you know, when we have opportunities taken from us, I, I take issue with it. You know, and and the thing is, and we're going to get off this very soon, I promise you guys. Yeah, we got plenty more articles and some positive ones. (laughs) Oh, yeah, absolutely. And but the thing is that these social media influencers are not showing you or telling you anything that you can't go help. But when 
it's as easily found as going on YouTube and doing a search, or you just follow that influencer and you see, hey, you know, John Doe's in Missouri on this piece of public land and had a great hunt. I want to go. I'm going there next year. Well, yep. you are one of thousands who has Literally the same thought. Literally I, thousands. I did it firsthand. I saw it, did it, lived it, won't be back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. It, and I'm just telling you honestly, like I heard about it on a YouTube channel. I went, went home. It was terrible. There's so many people. And now I see that it's been put in a quota because of overcrowding. On a positive note, in Florida, other changes they got going, they're hoping to change to where they're going to require hunters to report their turkeys that they harvest. I think that's a good move because... I think they're about was, the last state in the country. I they? was shocked when I, I killed my Osceola in Florida and I was like, all right, well, how do I check him in? And the game warden guy was like, what do you mean? You know, you go home just shove him in your trunk and get out of here (laughs) y'all have like the only osceolas in the whole country and you don't make people check them in yeah (laughs) that that blew my mind uh that they have a recent like they need to be treating those birds like a bighorn sheep on check-in like you Mm -hmm. need to have it fully checked in so I think they're finally getting the picture there. And then they also, in Holmes County, which I noticed when I went to Florida and was reading the regs, Holmes County was a one-bird county, and they're going to increase that to two and and make it just go with the regular season limits because they said the uh, turkey population has recovered in that county. So that's a good sign. Hey, that's great news. Yeah, that's good to hear. You know, they had a recovery. And Let's go there next year and talk about how great the hunting is and see if we can hotspot it. <laughs> Holmes County public land. DIY, baby. Yes. You've <laughs> got to do this. You've got to experience this. you got to come here. It, just message me on IG. I'll send you the coordinates. Yeah. <laughs> All, right. All right. We'll get off that now. What's your? <laughs> Bring us a positive article after that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So... This is a positive article. It might have a little negativity in it, but it's positive. So, according to Fox4KC.com, and here's where I grabbed the state name of Missouri just a minute ago, a hunting guide from rural Missouri. I always have a hard time with that word, rural. A hunting guide from rural Missouri has agreed to pay tens of thousands of dollars in restitution to settle allegations of investor fraud. So the Missouri Secretary of State said that this dude, this hunting guide, raised at least $50,000 between April of 2017 and October of 2018 for companies he claimed to own and operate. Those companies offered deer and turkey hunts in Missouri. So this guy, Theodore Eddings, got Eight individuals in five states, including one Missouri investor, um, assuming they're using the word investor because it says including one Missouri investor to buy into those companies and purchase hunting trips. So this dude, pretty big trouble. And he (laughs) used the money that he got for personal living expenses, dining, entertainment, and vacation. And then, to make matters worse, he filed phony paperwork to further misrepresent himself to investors. So, he is going to pay $53,000 
in restitution to his clients, $12,000 to the Missouri Secretary of State Investor Education and Protection Fund, and a measly $240,000 in civil penalties for six violations of the Missouri Securities Act. Mm-hmm. So, Man, if, the, he had a time. if the dude pays the other fees, they're going to waive the civil penalties of $240,000. So, look, be paying them. if you guys want to swindle some folks for hunting trips, <laughs> don't tell them they're buying into a hunting operation. <laughs> just take their money for the hunting trip and just disappear. Yeah, take them and drop them off at uh, some gate you don't know where you are and <laughs> leave. <laughs> yeah, take them, drop them off at that hot-spotted public land gate and <laughs> pitch black dark and go on. Yeah, just take the money and go. That's the way we do it. Uh-huh. So, <laughs> at least, number one, the dude got caught. Number two, it, I, I pray he repays the people that he cheated mm-hmm. with, you know, in restitution. But, you know, that that kind of stuff, well, it gives us all a bad name, yep. unfortunately. You know, any kind of, not all press is good press. Because mm-hmm. any negative press when it comes to hunting or hunters is bad press, and we yeah. don't need that. So anyway, at least there's a little bit of justice in this world, it seems like, and this dude's getting, well, I'm not going to say everything that he's got coming to him, because they're probably going to waive the $240,000 in fines, but mm. regardless. Thought that was pretty interesting stuff. Yeah. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick in the state of Missouri, since you mentioned right. it. And so Missouri set their spring and fall turkey dates, which same as usual, nothing changed there. But kind of at the bottom, it references this. And this is huge, in my opinion. I hope a lot of other states will will notice this and maybe give some thought to doing this. But they're going to, they've given the initial approval for a regulation change that would extend fur bearer hunting and trapping seasons. Nice. So the MDC says many fur bearer populations have experienced long-term population increases, allowing for additional harvest opportunity. And what I found most interesting, I I have a feeling somebody somewhere has got them thinking we need to help the wild turkey because they're going to extend the trapping season on private land for coyote, raccoon, possum, and skunks from March 1 to April 14. Very Perfect. Nice. And so it, I know I have friends who say they don't trap because they feel like by the time our trapping season ends, the raccoons will just move back in over the next two to three month period that you can't trap. And that's right when the turkeys are nesting. You know, I've always wondered why we can't trap the raccoons and possums and stuff and, and kill them right when they need to be killed. You know? <laughs> Yeah, if I can kill him on April third, a hen that's nested right near there on April third has a much better chance of making it without that guy being around, you know, and and less time for another one to move in. So I really like that. What we need from our listeners, the next step in this rulemaking process is for MDC to have public comment period. So public comments will be made from January nineteenth to February seventeenth, and that's going to be. And I'll give you the web address or you can look up this article, but it's HTTPS uh, colon slash slash short dot MDC dot MO dot gov 
slash Z49. And so you can go there on those dates and, and comment. So go do that because I'm sure we'll have some PETA tree huggers trying to keep us from trapping coyotes and raccoons in March. So go comment yeah. and tell how great that would be because I think that could be a big piece of, of the puzzle here is if we could remove big amounts of predators from the landscape in the same time period as the turkeys are putting their nests on the ground. I think yeah. that ha would have to help. I don't know how it couldn't help. Yeah. The biologists who are kind of like, eh, trapping, you know, doesn't really work. The ones that are kind of that way. One of the main points is predators just move in pretty quickly, you know, if you're only trapping a small piece of property. Well, if you kill them the day the nests are hitting the ground, you've got a better shot, in my opinion. Yeah. So that's good news for Missouri. I'm glad they're thinking that way. Yeah, totally. And for you guys who actually do go to that website and let your comments be heard, be sure that you mention in your comments that you're a hunter. Yeah, for real. And, and you know, turkey hunter specifically, if you want to go there. Yeah. All right. So I want to move to West Virginia. Not West literally. Yeah. Mountain Mama. Oh, sing it, baby. Sing it. <laughs> I listened to that like a hundred times when I drove to West Virginia. <laughs> <laughs> if that doesn't get you amped up, nothing will. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. So what's going on in West Virginia is that this fall... Hunters there harvested 694 turkeys during their fall season. Sounds like a lot, but that is down 33% compared to 2020. Hmm. And the article says that the low harvest may be in part due to mast conditions. And it's saying oh, yeah. that mast conditions, and now, you know, I think this is good news. Mast conditions are 61% above 2020 and 8% above the long-term average. Uh, so Spread them out. Yeah, spread them out. And here's the real positive in this, and, and I'm, I'm not going to go the angle of, hey, there were fewer turkeys killed in the fall. That means there's going to be more in the spring. I'm going the angle of more mast through the winter yeah. should equal a higher survival rate especially of those poults that mm -hmm. we had such a good number of this spring all across the south and Man. you know the the appalachians and on into the northeast as well so that's I excellent think that is very very good news you know again i i'm say what you will about the fall harvest numbers being down but to me, the highlight of that article is the mast. Yeah, yeah, and it makes sense. You know, it's if there was only one tree every hundred acres producing acorns, it'd be pretty easy to find and kill a turkey. You know. Oh yeah. <laughs> so, spread them out. But you're right; that is a huge positive, I would think. For and I'm sure studies have proven that a high mast production, especially in high mountainous, you know, colder areas would have to help turkey survival mm -hmm. and i mean i would think turkeys being spread out not only would help them from getting killed by hunters i would think that help them from getting killed by all kind of predators you, you know? think so if they're all concentrated in one area then owls and coyotes and raccoons you know they know what area to be in yeah so that that's good news other than you know the hunters who may not have gotten their bird this fall in west virginia <laughs> yeah. good news other than that 
And then you have, you know, the turkey shortage in the grocery stores. And, you know, there might have been some people in West Virginia who just didn't get to eat turkey for Thanksgiving or maybe don't get to eat turkey for Christmas. Well, maybe maybe be able to get one in the spring because of it. Who knows? But Get one in the spring and put that joker in the freezer and save it for the fall. There you go. Did did they mention license sales numbers in there? Were I mean, fall turkey hunting is a dying tradition, in my opinion. So, yeah, there, did they mention that, you know, that there was less hunters could have been part of the problem? Well, they didn't really mention that in the article. Okay. I would, but I got to think that that is the case, that there are fewer people fall turkey hunting. Yeah, I mean, if, if you made me put some money on it one way or the other, I would think that would also have been a factor. Because... Mm-hmm. You know, spring is king these days with turkey hunting, which wasn't always the case, but that is definitely how it is now. So I definitely would think that would have been a part of it, but it also hopefully is because of that mass crop. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm going to stick like, man, we started off negative. We're just going full blown positive now, though. So Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm going to expand on my favorite of the week from two weeks ago. And I'm sure a lot of y'all have seen stuff about this floating around social media. It's kind of a big deal going right now. But Arkansas implemented, and I have the actual article, I referenced it in our show two weeks ago. But Arkansas implemented this year voluntary turkey and bobwhite conservation stamps. And so they're doing it pretty cool. I was was researching a little more today to see how they're doing it because I'm trying to work with our TWRA commissioners and get this thing going in Tennessee. But they have a set number of the stamps. There's only one production of them each year and it's a new artwork. So they're making it like a collectible deal. And I think that's actually a good idea. And so they were able to raise $101,108 in turkey stamps and additional 39,000 from Bob White stamps. So Wow. With with that, then they can use the Pittman Robertson dollars mm-hmm. and apply that, and so that money can turn into quite a bit of money. So they're using this, and they had the NWTF Arkansas chapter added another sixty seven thousand dollars. So they have two hundred seven thousand dollars, and they're going to be able to work on six thousand acres to improve it for wildlife habitat, and that comes from voluntary stamps like yeah go arkansas people good job for y'all buying a it's a ten dollar stamp great job i mean that's impressive i think why would a state not have a voluntary turkey stamp you know (laughs) exactly what's the negative here you know (laughs) you know i want to say this and and just kind of pile on to what you just mentioned about Arkansas turkey hunters. They are a group that literally is trying and they're doing everything that they can do within their means to turn things around in Arkansas. You know, if you think back, what was it, a year and a half, two years ago when there was a proposal for sweeping changes to the turkey hunting regulations up there to push the season back to lower limits. Yeah. Everything. Jakes, all, all kinds of stuff. It was 
overwhelming the number of hunters that supported those regulation changes. And then when you hear something like this, it's just piling on. They're putting their money where their mouth is now. And to me, it's awesome. You know, these, and and you and I have, have experienced it firsthand when we've been there to hunt. Those hunters up there, you can't talk to one that has hunted longer than 10, 15 years who won't mention to you how badly their population has dropped over that time period. And how worried they are about it. They are worried sick about it. But, you know, I said this when we had the biologist from Arkansas on the show, you know, I'm no expert. I read a lot about this. I listen to a lot of biologists. You and I talk to a lot of biologists about this, but for the things that the wild turkey needs that we can help with, that we can do, I think that Arkansas is moving in the right direction or has made a move in the right direction. And I'm, I still say it's that it can be the case. And I pray that I'm right, that in five to 10 years, we could be saying Arkansas is the case study of what every state in the Southeast and every state around the country that's experiencing decline, a decline in turkey populations needs to do. And this $10 stamp could be a prime example of that, a prime part of that. That's really well put. I mean, it it just happened to Arkansas first, you know. It did. It could have been any of, it could have been Alabama, could have been Tennessee, Mississippi, could have been anybody. It's kind of happened to Arkansas and Louisiana first. And so good for Arkansas, good for their officials for giving the option of this stamp. You know, they didn't make it where you had to buy it. They just said, all right, we'll try a voluntary stamp. You know, they, I bet they didn't really have high hopes for it. And Arkansas hunters turned out, raised $101,000. Excellent job. I think, I think I'm going to go buy an Arkansas stamp this year. I don't even, I'm not planning on hunting Arkansas, but I'm going to buy a stamp. Like, I want Arkansas to succeed because it will give me hope, you know? Oh, yeah. (laughs) And I encourage anyone listening to this who hears this about the stamp and you're seeing on social media, it's great to hear about it and support it. Tell your state legislator, whoever, you know, if you have a county commissioner, you know, that works, whoever it is that's over your area, send them this information, show them how this worked out for Arkansas and try to get it implemented in your state. If we overwhelm asking for it, I think surely the state will implement a voluntary stamp program. And if you decide not to get Starbucks tomorrow before Christmas, buy buy you an Arkansas turkey stamp and help these people out, help that state out. One day you might want a turkey out there. And if we can see them with a huge turnaround, that's going to be very positive for the rest of the United States, in my opinion. Yep. So that was... That was encouraging. Great job, Arkansas. Very cool. Well, I'm going to go negative Nancy on you again. Oh! I guess, you know, you can look at these articles or these stories as a positive. If there's fewer birds killed in the fall, there's got to be more for the spring, doesn't there? Potentially, depending on predation. Until until they're all eaten by coyotes. Well, was it woods? From Arkansas, he he was he told us 
that the mortality rate, and I think Mike Chamberlain echoed it, from fall to through winter is actually very low in the southeast, at least. Yeah. I'm sure it's higher in, in colder weather areas, but go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. So, all right. I told you about the lower harvest in West Virginia. Yep. There was a lower harvest in Ohio. There okay. was a lower harvest this fall in Maryland. And People aren't hunting in the fall. <laughs> That's my that's my conclusion. I think you're right. I think you're right. Because in West Virginia, they were expecting a higher harvest count than that because there were so many turkeys seen yep. in their poult yearling birds. Yeah, in their in their recruitment surveys that they do. Mm-hmm. And I think it was the same way in Maryland. You know, they they were saying in Maryland that now Maryland has a three day winter season. All right. So you have to be careful talking about Maryland. If it rained for two of those three days, the Saturday and Sunday of that three-day season, yeah, your participation is dropping right off the bat. So anyway, but they were talking about in Maryland as well that they had such a high number of polts and their polt recruitment survival rate was very high, but yet the kill rate was lower than expected. So that's not... It's not anything, any, you know, that I think any other state that has a fall season is experiencing. So let's see if I can get you the, get you the percentage of decline in harvest in the fall in Ohio. So the average harvest for the previous three fall seasons in Ohio is 1,079. In 2020, hunters took 1,063 birds. And in 2021... Ohio hunters checked 694 birds. Man, that's that's so that's pretty significant. Yeah. So that could be worrisome. They also did Ohio do away with any fall hunting? I'm not aware I of it. I, I know they're changing so. their spring. Yeah. To one bird and and it you know obviously they're experiencing some Arkansonian type declines there as well. They are experiencing some declines there. Yeah. So that's. That's a pretty big drop. You know, those thousand turkey numbers, if I had to guess, it's the same people. 30% drop. Yeah. That's huge. Yeah, that is. And, you know, hey, maybe they had a big mass crop too. Could be. But it is kind of with the poult reports I've heard, areas that have the either sex fall hunt you would think would have actually increased this year because the bird of the year poults are a lot easier to kill, you know. They're not terribly easy. difficult. Easy. Now, I'm not going to say easy, but, you know, that typically makes up the majority of the harvest. They're young and innocent. They haven't been hunted yet. You they know? believe all humans are, are good and not evil. Well, I think that first year they think every sound they hear that sounds like a turkey is a turkey. And the, the young male ones especially figure out by year two and three that I'm going to be a little more skeptical. <laughs> Yes, indeed. Every squawking sound in the woods isn't a hen wanting a to get with lonely me. lonely <laughs> woman. I know I'm attractive, but maybe I'm not that good. You know? <laughs> yep. That, that's interesting statistics coming out of the fall harvest. I'm glad you hit on that because I, I haven't done the research on fall harvest around the country lately because I just haven't looked into it. I figured it'd be about average. I, I'm kind of just of the opinion there's these group of old school fall hunters and they all go kill about the same amount of birds every year. And then 
I'm like the only one in my 20s that fall hunts in the United States. So, <laughs> <laughs> Not the only one, but you are one of the few. <laughs> Very few young folks fall turkey hunting. And as long as that doesn't lead to losing fall opportunity to hunt, I'm fine with it. I hope nobody else picks it up, honestly. But it, uh, it draws a lot of flack, and hopefully those numbers aren't indicative of a lower spring harvest. Unless that is, you know, I just hope that doesn't mean there's less birds in those states. Yeah. Is what I'm trying to say there. But on the flip side, this is my most positive article. So we've been talking about reproductive success and how we think may have had a big year for poults. And finally, a summer survey has been put out by a southeastern state that supports our theory in South Carolina. I'm just going to read you the title. It just It's as smooth as butter. Wild turkey reproduction at highest level in a decade. Hmm. How, how good does that sound? That's got a little ring to it, that's for sure. Man, I, I that's wish my state... That's the smoothest Tennessee whiskey. I wish my state would put something out that said that. That'd be encouraging. But it it's an interesting article. I'd, I'd suggest anybody who is interested or lives in South Carolina go check it out. It's on the dnr.sc.gov, the brood survey, 2021. And it talks about how they get their survey and how it all goes. But essentially, they have a huge, you know, hundreds of participants that are game wardens, biologists, you know, people in the industry who go look for turkeys and count how many hens they see with poults, with no poults, if they have poults, how many poults, you know. And it's across the whole span of the state and regions. And they use this to determine a pulp per hen ratio. And so this is depressing and encouraging at the same time, this portion. But it says South Carolina's experienced declines in turkey productivity since 1988. The average recruitment prior to 1988 was 3.5 pulps per hen. That's nuts. Hmm. Average recruitment since 1988 is 2.1. So that's a 40% decrease in average recruitment. Wow. Coincidentally, the turkey harvest has decreased over 40% since it peaked in 2002. And this has been a slow and steady decline with numbers in the 1990s averaging 2.5. But since 2005, numbers below 2 have been the norm with an average pulp per hen ratio. The last 15 years is 1.8. So, I mean, it's just getting worse and worse and worse. But it said this year it was back to two. And that's the first time it's hit two since 2011. Dang. Which, you know, two's good. That's a a maintaining healthy population by by their standards. You can 2.0, if we can hit 2.0 every year, forever, theoretically, we should not see a decline in turkeys, you know? She, she replaced herself in the gobbler. And according to, you know, some people, you don't even have to technically replace the gobbler every year. So if it's two, you might actually be a slowly expanding population. But mm. it says the average brood size was 3.5 to 4 poults. And 50% of the hens observed did not have poults, but the ones who did had 3.5 to 4 and 
Another interesting portion references their legislative changes. And so it says the intent of legislative changes, which took effect in 2020, that adjusted starting dates, season length, bag limits, and limited the gobbler harvest during the first 10 days of the season, which South Carolina made a big sweeping change. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it says it was to increase turkey populations by improving reproductive success. And then they say reproduction in 2021 was the best in a decade, right after they changed all this legislation. And But at this point, it's not indicative of a cause and effect relationship with the changes. However, it was the intent of the legislation and continued improvement over the next few years will lend credence to drawing that conclusion. So kind of their way of saying we changed the laws and stuff worked this year. We're not saying it worked indefinitely, but it sure seemed like it helped this year. (laughs) Yeah. So I guess, you know, they'll need probably at least a five year sample to see if the hunting season changes they made actually helped or if it was just, you know, perfect weather, that kind of thing. Because it sure seemed like it was the whole Southeast as a whole experienced a better pulp production year. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm, again, no scientist and have very, very, very limited data to look at. My own personal observation is all I have to look at, but it looked to me to be a very good hatch in central Alabama. Yeah, same in in Tennessee, and I speak with a lot of people around the globe of the United States, and... Most, by a pretty wide margin, agreed that it was a heck of a hatch. And I I took a survey on my Instagram, which had, I think, over a thousand votes, and it was 80% said it was a great hatch. So badly needed. Badly needed. We need another one this coming spring, just (laughs) like this. If we could get two or three in a row, you know, that's the good, the beauty of turkeys is they're built to produce. If we can string a couple in a row, we're back, you know. Yeah, back. The only it's just like quail, they they can produce in huge numbers. The only downside to that, though, is more prey will equal more predators. So we have to stay vigilant in our attempts to trap nest yeah. predators and poult predators, the ones that are legal to do so. And you know, we we've got to stay vigilant in that. Otherwise, you give these coyotes and bobcats and raccoons more to eat and there will be more coyotes and bobcats and raccoons to eat yeah so i tell you i'm gonna take a little side note here we're getting late into the podcast but some encouragement based on quail for us turkey hunters so my dad is a quail hunter and as we all know, there are no quail anymore. You know, they're they're leprechauns. And he just made it his mission in his life is to keep quail on this one farm that we have. And it's only, it's for agricultural use and quail. Like, that's all it's for. There's some deer out there too. But we think we finally figured it out. And this year, he walked into a covey of, of over 40 birds yesterday in one covey and hit four different coveys within an hour. Nice. So it was, I like, I love quail hunting too. Like I grew up doing it and I love watching the dog work and horse riding and everything, but I'm always thinking Turkey. And when, when we're seeing this many quail brought back from, and I'm not joking three years ago, hunted 40 days probably on this farm and never saw one quail, the whole, not one. 
<laughs> yeah. And four coveys in an hour. It And one of the coveys literally was at least 40 birds. So it's, I think he has at least over 100 birds on the place now. And it, it's just so encouraging from my perspective because I know quail and turkeys both have the capacity to produce a lot under the right conditions. Mm-hmm. So we think we finally got it figured out on the quail, at least temporarily. And uh, unbelievable to see that. I just, it's weird to be on the same ground that you literally wouldn't hear a whistle, didn't see a bird, never got a point, and see four coveys in, you know, <laughs> an hour is pretty crazy. Yeah. So that was, he, he was on cloud nine, to say the least, because he loves the quail. It's been his life mission to bring him back on this place. That's cool. Yeah. So a little bit of encouragement there. But yep. do you have another article for us or are you done? I have one more. I'm going to talk about this and I'm, I have looked to see if it's passed or been signed into law and I haven't found anything yet. But in the state of Wisconsin, the Senate has proposed a bill to simplify their wild turkey hunting rules. Now, you've hunted there, I've hunted there, and upon first look, Wisconsin's turkey hunting seasons, bag limit, their application for permits or tags, all of that appears to be extremely confusing. Yeah. But when you call the DNR and get someone on the phone and they explain it to you, it's really not. It just... Seems it's like not. it is. Yeah. So this bill, Senate Bill 610, proposes to take Wisconsin's six hunting periods that they have and combine those into two. So mm. the first period is going to be a two-week hunting period, and it's going to be for those people who have applied for and gotten licenses or authorizations during their preference point. Yeah system that they use and then the second utah yeah yeah the early season deal Uh uh-huh then the second period that they're going to have the second season that they'll have is going to immediately follow the first one and it's going to run for four weeks and the second period is going to be open for really anyone Hmm. so you don't have to apply to get into the second season then they're going to take their turkey hunting zones which currently there are seven and they're going to combine those and make them two zones a southern zone which is going to consist of zones one two and three and then a northern zone which will consist of four five six and seven so they're just going down to twos (laughs) yeah going to twos is the bag limit going to be two (laughs) i don't know maybe it does need to be that so the other thing that they want to do is they want to say hey all of you utes out there you're still going to have your two-day ute season that's going to come in prior to the other two seasons that they're going to have but if you do not successfully harvest a turkey during the ute season you can use that same authorization that you have to hunt in that same turkey hunting zone during both of the hunting periods or hunting seasons that are going to follow that youth weekend so Mm. i'm cool with that you know give the utes an opportunity that doesn't bother me oh yeah I I just still want all the Utes to know, if you ask me, if you see me in the woods, if I've heard a turkey or seen a turkey, the answer is no. I will lie to you. (laughs) I've seen it live and in person. And I will not have any remorse about it at all. I will sleep like a baby that night. 
So I'm all for you hunting and killing turkeys. Just it's not your not my turkeys that I'm hunting and, and trying to kill. Yeah, so. I've seen it live and in person. And that's interesting with Wisconsin. I didn't find it overly confusing. I mean, it is more complicated than most. It is. But on the surface, like I said, you know, it's yeah. it's intimidating on the surface if you're not familiar with it. But it's not that big of a deal. So, yeah, I hope. The, the only thing I had qualms with with Wisconsin's way they did it was that at the end of season, you could just continuously buy tags as they were available, you yeah. know, and I, I'll i be interested if they do make changes. I hope there's, you know, just a bag limit, annual bag limit, uh, you know, maximum of four or three, whatever it is. Yeah. So that that was like if I, if they turned the state over to me, that would have been. That would, that would about been all I would have changed. It's like, all right, you, you know, you can kill two, you know, one early season, one late season, something like that. Yeah. But well, if this passes, is going to take effect in the spring of 2023. Okay, so unaffected for this coming spring, that would be pretty soon. So yeah, that's good. Yeah. Well, yeah. Um, that'll be worth monitoring for sure. That's the first I've heard of that, and wouldn't doubt if that's the first a lot of people have heard of that. So. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, the bill was I, introduced in October, and like I said, I can't see that it was passed or signed into law by their governor, but keep your eyes open. Yeah, yeah. I personally thought the way they handled their season before was pretty good because it spreads pressure out through the whole season. I thought other so, Other than too. the onslaught that could occur at the end. <laughs> right. And yeah. I, I know people took advantage of that and would slaughter turkeys at the end. So it, it is, that was the only part I had qualms with. So, but that, that's cool. Yeah. We're, that's, that's what turkey soup's all about, man. We're just trying to keep everybody informed on what's going on in turkey hunting. Yeah. And of course, we throw our two cents in there as well, which is, yeah. you know, I guess maybe keeps it a little bit interesting. It's not all about the news. Well, you put both our two cents together, it's not worth a nickel. So that's, that's, that's not right. good. It's worth four cents. <laughs> oh, be. We're, we're, we've given our opinions. We've given you some, some news, some updates from around the country, but we're about an hour and 20 minutes in, I think. So that's wow. a, a long time. wrap this thing up and let some folks go to bed. <laughs> yeah. We'll save a favor of the week for next week, other than Cameron and I and our families wish you guys a very Merry Christmas. We hope that you're able to spend a lot of good quality time with your friends and family. And don't ever, please don't ever forget the reason for the season. So God bless you guys. Thank you for listening in this week. We know that you have choices. We appreciate you spending your time with us. We hope you have a very Merry Christmas, and we look forward to seeing you again next week. Goodbye. Merry Christmas, everybody. Goodbye. Thanks for tuning in. You were just listening to the Turkey Hunter podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please go on over to iTunes and leave a five-star review. And make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe for free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews to help you have a more successful turkey season. And stay tuned for upcoming episodes on hunting afternoon birds, how to film your hunt, and the breeding cycle of hens, as well as some guest interviews. Thanks again for listening. 
We know your time is valuable, and we appreciate you sharing some of it with us. See you next week.